welcome back to this week's episode of Bricks and Clicks. For this episode, I am flying solo as your host, but fortunately, I am not alone. Joining me today is Sadie Sheffer, who is the CEO of Bread Seriously. Sadie is also an artist, an MIT dropout, and an accidental bread baker. She founded Bread Seriously in 2011 when a quest to impress her gluten intolerant crush turned into an all-encompassing baking hobby. Sadie, welcome to Bricks and Clicks. We're really looking forward to the conversation today. Hi, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, so Sadie, tell us a little bit about Bread Seriously. What is it? What do you sell? And then maybe we can dive into how you founded it and what that looked like. Sure. So Bread Seriously is a gluten-free and top nine allergen-free sourdough bread company. So we sell in grocery stores throughout California. You'll find us in the refrigerated section. We ship nationwide to gluten intolerant eaters all over the country. And we were the original gluten-free sourdough. So there are a few other sourdoughs out there now for people who are gluten intolerant or have celiac disease. But basically, we do a traditional sourdough fermentation with gluten-free grains, which is pretty rare because sourdough takes a long time. Therefore, it is an expensive process. So the big players don't really touch it, but there are loads and loads of health benefits that come with eating sourdough bread, whether you're gluten intolerant or not. Sourdough basically does the digesting for you and gives you like a really easy on your body loaf of bread that's super nourishing. So sourdough all the way. And that's what and bread seriously is here for. That's great. And I mean, speak, speaking of spa- sourdough, you're in the Bay Area, which is a capital for sourdough, right? In terms of it's like the capital for sourdough mythology i like to Got say it. like all right well, every culture has a sourdough sourdough is thousands of years old yeah. but san francisco somehow got the fame for it it was not got the it. first all um right. there is That's a, a there is a there... about yeah. san francisco sourdough that we get to build into our brand which is lovely yeah. that's perfect for ali so how did you start how did you get into this i know i mentioned you went to mit and you said you're a dental bread baker so what did that look like and how did you get into and starting a cpg company yeah it was a weird it was a weird (laughs) time i dropped out of mit and decided to follow my college crush to san francisco but i you know i was 20 and i thought it would be super romantic to just show up um what do you think of that (laughs) so things didn't really work out yeah (laughs) the way I had thought they would, but I was extremely determined and also didn't know anybody else here. I figured if I could do something that would be impressive to him, that might help my case. And he is sure. newly gluten intolerant. So I was like, okay, I will learn how to cook and bake things that he can eat. So that's how I got into it. I just cooked and baked all day, every day and learned how to do it and had a bunch of flops. But then I got really into it and it's it was super engaging. Every time I failed, I took it as like a personal insult because I was yeah. like, especially dropped out of college where things didn't really go my way, really took it upon myself to like master this craft. Yeah. Keep pushing through all the failures and just keep trying. Learning and learning. Yeah. It was really cool. And at that time, this was like 2009, there weren't really any rules about gluten-free baking. There were a few blogs out there, yeah. um, but I was so excited that I had finally found something where there were no rules and therefore I could just make things up and do it my way because college like really sucked for me and it was, I could be myself. So just playing in the kitchen was the thing that like, I don't know, changed me in a big yeah. way. You found it energizing. It was probably energizing to do that. And how long did it take before you had your first loaf that you enjoyed? You're like, wow, I actually share this with your crush. Maybe a year and a half. Wow. That's a lot of tries. Yeah. But I'm a very impulsive person also. So it was a year and a half till the first bread. And then it was only six months from there to starting bread. Seriously, it's just like. It's ready. Let's do it. So how did you how did you take that step? So you started 2009 trying this out. A year and a half later, you're like, I found something that I think can work. 
I'm happy to share with people. I'm proud of it. And then six months later, you founded an actual company in 2011. Is that something you wanted to do? What no, that? not at all. Yeah. No. So I had run three other hobby businesses in the Got past. It. I sold t-shirts and bike accessories and stuff. And so I started Bread Seriously on a whim, just saying like, hey, I'm trying to workshop this gluten-free sourdough recipe, but the ingredients are really expensive. So if I sell the test loaves to friends, then they'll help me pay for the ingredients for and it. we'll come up with a loaf of bread that I like for myself. And that was the big vision of Bread Seriously. So not at all, had no idea. And that's why I call it a dental bread maker. Yeah. Like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I never thought it would be a real, quote unquote, real business. I didn't know what that even meant. I didn't know that you're supposed to pay yourself when you run a business, like all of these things. So it, it was, I had the idea three weeks later, I started the business and then I spent the next I don't know, seven years figuring out what it means to run a business and Trying then to operate. I, I feel like yeah, 2018, 2019, I feel was my first year as a real CEO. Like yeah. I, I get it now. And of course I'm still like You're still you know, learning. We're always learning all the time and failures all the time. Yeah. For sure. So going back to 2011, you've got this product, you've packaged it up, got your branding, you've launched. Who did you sell in first? Which retailer? Who was the first customer that you made your sale to in terms of retailers? In terms of retailers, buy right. All I, right. I, didn't think that I could do wholesale because yeah. I thought the bread was going to be too expensive. But I really wanted to see it on the shelf of back just for yeah. like personal pride. So I walked in, I got a meeting with the buyer. They loved it and brought it in. And it at the same time, I had launched in a farmer's market and I thought the business was just going to be farmer's markets plus buy right, basically. For sure. But buy right sold the same amount of bread as we sold at the farmer's market with a lot less work and stress and hassle and staff. And so were you so making the deliveries? That were you baking on my bicycle? Yes. On your bicycle? Wow. Yes. I didn't know how to drive. Plus you're in San Francisco, so it's easier biking around. Yeah, it got pretty heavy. Yeah, going up those hills? <laughs> yeah. I had a I had a front rack, a rear rack, a backpack, and a trailer. Oh so goodness. I could carry a hundred loaves of bread, but yeah. I then I would make like three miles an hour. It yeah. was diminishing returns. But I did it. <laughs> That's the key. How often were you going back to buy to load them up with more? Like, what was your cycle I there? delivered once a week to buy right. And the, but then at the time, I was delivering to, like, just individual houses. We would have these, like, crazy routes up all the hills and try to get home in time for people to pick up from my house at five, that kind of thing. It was quite the scramble. I've never been in such good shape, and I probably never will be again. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of, I don't know if you're familiar in San Francisco, there's someone called Fruit Jesus. And Never. he bikes around delivering fresh fruit to people. So on his bike, he's bringing fruit around to people. So it's a very Fruit's similar. even head. I know. It's impressive biking up and down these hills. Too bad there wasn't electric assist bikes back then like there is now. Right. They're so popular. Yep. Okay. So you launched into Buy Right. Things are going well. Where did you go next? How did you slowly start building up into getting into some, maybe some bigger chains or what was your plan there? So I started just selling to all the stores I like to shop at. So yeah. Gus's. Gus's, nice. Well, at the time, Hay Street Market. Yeah. Before they were Gus's, Rainbow, yeah. other avenues, places like that. And one by one, we'd get the bread in, do a bunch of demos, help people understand what the new product was. It didn't have very descriptive packaging. It was a like a generic brown craft coffee bag that we stamped with the brand name and the product name. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't that much and it sold in the refrigerator section. So it's a little out of the way. Sometimes people don't necessarily know to look there for bread, but the demos were always a hit and 
super fun to just be like connecting with people. Our mission is to reunite people with sourdough when they thought good bread was off the table. So like you get to actually do that yeah. at a demo, which is amazing. Just watch people like light up when they try the product because it's unusual. I feel like people who are gluten-free, you just know that when you go to try a gluten-free bread, it's not going to be good. And so it's really quite delightful when that expectation is changed. Really no, nice. It can actually be like awesome. What's your go-to recommendation to try the bread? Like, how are you serving the bread? Plain, toasted, toasted. with butter, Always honey, toasted. cheese? Okay. My favorite is toasted with salted butter. We yeah. bring Kerrygold to our demos. It's extra fancy. Yeah, I love it as toast. That's like my go-to. But it makes a great sandwich, makes a great stuffing. But toast is just like the thing that like triggers all the nostalgia bells yeah, and whistles. For sure. That's great. So you've started selling in more. You're building up. Are you cooking everything or baking everything at home? Like, when did, uh, how did you start expanding your manufacturing process? Yeah. What so it was baked like? in my apartment until I think April 2011, 2012. And then we moved into an off hours restaurant. And then we moved into a catering kitchen, like a series of catering kitchens. We moved a bunch of times. And then in 2014, we got a co packer, which was great, but eventually, it didn't work out long-term. We were there for three years. And then we went back to self-manufacturing in a dedicated gluten-free kitchen that we were subletting. And then in 20, end of 2018, we finally got our own space. So now we're in our own dedicated top nine allergen-free kosher space, which is very awesome. Yeah, that is great. So what did that look like building up the team, the bakers, the team that's doing the manufacturing, the packaging? How did that go and what have you learned along the way? Any lessons? I'm actually not the one responsible for building that team now. And building the, building the team, the manufacturing team has been very, there's high turnover in food sure. manufacturing. I've had a hand a lot in building the culture of the team and a stronger hand in building the office team, so the back end, the sales, the marketing, the HR, things like that, operations. So our culture is pretty special. I've put a lot of emphasis on leadership for everyone, like leadership skills and leadership values and just running a values-led organization. So for hiring, which is like a passion of mine, but an unexpected passion of mine, we lead our hiring process with values. So the first question in any interview for any position is about personal values and what value for themselves, what they like to bring to the workplace, what they're looking for in a company, because an interview, a candidate is interviewing us too. So we want to give that opportunity to make sure that we're a fit. So we're looking for values. We're looking for like curiosity and excitement about the brand. That's super important. It's something that can't be taught. And lastly, we're looking for skill set and experience. Like that buy-in is so important and that values add or values fit. Like we're not looking for someone who has the same values as us. We're looking for complementary values and complementary right. skill sets. So one of my favorite kind of theories on hiring is from the book Strengths-Based Leadership, which talks about basically as a leader, it's super important to know your own strengths and it's almost even more important to know your own weaknesses. But instead of putting your effort into getting better at your weaknesses, get better at your strengths. You're already yeah. good at them and that's what makes you special and hire for your weaknesses. And that was like awesome light bulb moment for me. Very permission giving to just be like, okay, I can actually like just back off on these things yeah. that like I'm not good at, do not bring me joy, do not further my company. Find yeah. other people who are super good at those things, but who can rely on me for the things I'm good at. And that way we make this like really impeccable, strong team that focuses on collaboration and that trusts each other. 
Yeah, it's so powerful. It's such a great point. And one thing, I think being able to acknowledge yourself what you're not good at, and that's okay, and then go and try and solve that's a really big deal. I think that's why I'm, Colin's not here, but I enjoy working with Colin so much is we're very different in terms of our strengths and weaknesses where he's very detailed, Colin's very organized, and that's not really my strength, but we work really well together. And so it's fun to see that in action, and especially when you're hiring. And I find it important too, to hire people who, like you said, are interested and want to work hard and are really curious and like solving problems. And then let them, don't force them into a specific role. Find out what they're good at and let them do that. And let's say, hey, it's our job as a leader is to put the people in the right places that they're going to succeed in. And if it's not working out, it's okay to talk about that and say, hey, this is not a great role. What do you think about that? And open up that conversation. I yeah, really that's such an too. interesting phenomenon. And I think that was sort of a realization in the last year or two of just like, we start by writing this job description, which yeah. for people in CPG, it's like writing your target pro- target customer profile. Yeah. You're like, my perfect operations manager will have these qualities. They will enjoy these things. They will have these responsibilities and they have this experience. And then you put it out in the world and someone comes along who's like maybe an 85% match, maybe a 91% yeah. match. And then you have a choice. Once they join their team, you can force them to become that 100% match, but it's not really possible. No. Or you can change the job description, which is super easy to do because it's just a Google Doc. Yeah, to become the 100% match for them. And that was a really freeing realization as well. Just like when you're trying to force someone into a description, like you are, it's like inefficient. That's not really the word. There's there's some magic that is lost because everybody, every person is magic. And if you can give them like the platform for them to be their most magical selves, that's that's incredible. It's so important, right? It's to me, it's all coming around like fun, right? Are they enjoying the work? Is it fun to them? If they're having fun, they're going to be motivated. They're going to give it their best. They're going to feel like they're part of the team, like they're trusted. And then you get these magical results that you're alluding to. Yeah. I mean, these are all lessons certainly learned. And we've done it a little bit at Omnium too, in terms of our hiring. We mentioned that in a prior pod around internships. That's how we view internships is like, hey, do you want to work for us? Is it a good fit? And it's totally fine to get past your four-month internship. Be like, you know what? I really appreciate the time, but I don't see myself doing CPG analytics the rest of my career or in the next space. And so that's fine. We really appreciate what you did. And that's good that you learned it versus making a full-time hire. And it's a lot more challenging to get out of that. Have you ever done interns or thought about doing interns? We did a little bit way back, but it was specifically for production positions. We partnered with Bowman College, who has an externship requirement for their students. And so we hosted a handful of externs. We hired a handful of them too. But really, I feel like they don't totally fit my personal philosophy. Like, yeah. Unpaid you... specifically, like oh, yeah, not a huge it. fan of unpaid internships. Uh, like very much I against unpaid they're, internships. Yeah, they're crappy. Very and, but crappy. also, if someone is coming to do this work for us, I feel like especially if they're unpaid, we owe them a recipro- something reciprocal. So it's a reciprocal relationship, and therefore, it takes a lot of work to host yeah. an intern because you're doing this job training that's maybe a different type of maybe it's like workplace entry where there's like different types of skills that you're not used to teaching and it takes a lot of time and care and so we only consider hosting interns when we feel like we have that care to give so we're, we're potentially going to host some next year in for marketing because our marketing manager has that bandwidth and is a really incredible mentor especially for people who are new to the workforce but for me personally I don't have that patience or that organization yeah. I'm like you Johnny like yeah. I am not organized or detail oriented. Like I cannot teach someone how to like 
work in an office that yeah. kind of thing that is sort of like the subtext of an internship a lot sure. of the time. And so that's also sort of knowing our strengths and weaknesses. It just it wouldn't have been helpful to the person who was joining the team. And that's not what we want to put out in the world. Yeah, you don't want them just to sit there and feel like they're lost. And so it's important for them to have a little bit of structure. And really, the big learning here that I've had is at least have two. So if for some reason your team is really bogged down with the important fire drill of the day or what have you, the interns can at least work together on the project. So they can at least I talk like to each other and say, yeah, yeah, you know what, Sadie or the head of marketing is super busy today or this week. We're not going to get much attention from them. Maybe the two of us can work on this problem and talk about it and think different through, through different ideas. So that's one piece of advice I'd have for your, your marketing lead. If Love you're it. thinking about doing that, try and get two together. I found that to be really effective. Thanks. So talking about org structure, you said you spend most of your time working with the headquarter people, marketing and sales and admin. How is How, how would you recommend a company starting up or a company even of your size now to, say, to rec set up their sales team? What have you learned along the way? And how are you, I guess, start off with how, are, how is your sales team set up? Our sales team is actually the newest of our team. We have a sales manager and a sales administrative assistant. The admin role is more like inside sales and it's really recurring order management. So our product yeah. is super perishable. So we yeah. take orders from our accounts every week because we have a 12 day shelf life. So we need someone who's just on email, on phones, on our no, order stop. form, like doing data entry, calling people who forgot to order. So it's very specific to our company because we do direct distribution. So we're taking those orders directly from buyers. So we're talking to all 150 of our buyers once or yep. twice a week. And then the sales manager is looking for those new accounts and having those meetings and getting us in the category reviews and things like that. Yeah. Do you get involved with those calls? Like if you're going to go try and turn on a new account, are you involved with that? Or do you let the sales manager do that? How does that, what does that look like? I'm available when people need me. So yeah, one of my biggest value as I've read seriously is just being available to my team because yeah. I've put the work in to find the team that has the skill sets and the complementary strengths that I need. And so if I can be there to bounce ideas off of or to show up to the meeting or something like that, I, I do that. Great. What are the biggest challenges that you've seen recently in terms of selling in a new customer when you try and sell in a new retailer? If they're saying no, what are they pushing back on? And how have you dealt with that in the past? Yeah, it's definitely been a tough time for us. We have not made new sales in an uncomfortable long time. So yeah. for yeah. us, so the alternative bread set is largely moved to the frozen section and we're in the fridge by ourselves. And so that's the biggest pushback that we're getting is that we're not frozen. And second biggest pushback, I would say, is shelf life. And third biggest yeah. pushback is that we're not distributed. So it's definitely been an uphill battle, especially like in the last quarter or so. I'm sorry to hear that. Is frozen something you've thought about or considered or is that? We are considering it. Yeah, yeah, it's not It's not super straightforward, but we've got it in the plan for next year if we yeah. bunch of R&D on that. Got it. And it, is it, what are the downsides to doing frozen? Does it take away from the taste or the quality or? Yeah, the right issues? now it's a quality issue. So yeah. the texture changes when it's frozen and thawed and texture is what makes our bread magical. So that's a big deal. But also like the buying experience isn't as good. You take home a fresh loaf of bread and you get to slice it and toast it. You take home a frozen loaf of bread and there's no instant gratification yeah. in frozen bread. Yeah. Have you considered selling to more food service, like re restaurants? Yeah, or... that's that's the strategy now. So we're working nice. on that. Yeah, it seems like a great option just to have it on the menu, bread and butter at every meal. And now you have a gluten-free sourdough option or sandwich sandwich shops as well, right? Definitely sandwiches, catering, 
any place that serves toast. But yeah, the bread performs really well, especially compared to other gluten-free breads that tend to crumble when you put toppings on them. Ours is yeah. like very nice. <laughs> nice. And so wh- how many flavors do you have? What, what are the skew lists? How are you setting these? Five skews? for okay. retail and one for food service or one that's only for food service, but some of the retail ones are also for food service. So we've got three flavors of loaf. We've got classic, which is our bestseller seeded yep. and cinnamon raisin and then we've got two rolls we've got sandwich rolls and dinner rolls and they're super awesome and also available for food service and we've got a jumbo size of the classic for food service cinnamon raisin sounds delicious oh it's go-to. awesome it's sweetened with just date the date syrup organic date syrup and it's like subtly sweet and really spicy yeah. and like with the sour tanginess it's like a pretty unusual like not your grandma's cinnamon raisin bread so where can I get that? I guess for the re- for the listeners out there as well, where can they go find, say, the cinnamon raisin or even just your classic sourdough? Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're in the Bay Area, Good Eggs carries all six of the SKUs, even the food service loaf. So that's a good, great place to start. But we're, sell, we're sold in natural grocery stores throughout California. Again, check the refrigerator section. Yeah. And you can always check our store locator on our website or email hello at breadseriously.com to find out which store carries which specific product. Um, awesome. Or you can order at breadseriously.com and we'll ship it right to you. That's bread and then S R S L Y, breadseriously.com. Awesome. And are you still selling in Gus's? We are, yes. Awesome. That's where I'm going to go try it. Fabulous. That's my go to spot right now. I love Gus's. Cool. Sadie, thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Please, for all our listeners out there, go try the gluten free sourdough. It sounds delicious. And Sadie, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Yeah. Wearing sevens on your sleeve.